and welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dalkus, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, I am so excited to bring you today's episode because this year I'm going to be bringing back some of my favorite past guests because it's been six years of podcasting, you guys, and some of my first hundred episodes are some truly amazing people that you may not even be aware that I've interviewed before, and certainly even if you have heard their episode, after five or so years, a lot has changed in a lot of their lives. For example, Jenica Parcell. I interviewed her, A Slice of Style, when she was pregnant with her twins. Pregnant. Now her twins are five years old. She is going through IVF again to bring another baby into the world. And a lot has changed with her. So I'm really hopeful to have her back on. And today, another favorite favorite is Miranda Anderson. Miranda came on before to talk about her adventuresome lifestyle, minimal living, and just being an extraordinary mom to three awesome kids. She comes back on today to give a very recent life update. They bought a house very unexpectedly. They were literally on a walk, saw a house in their neighborhood, thought, hmm, that would better fit my needs, and bought it. She's going to go into all about that, what that's like, how the pandemic affected adventuring in their family, how that affected their family culture. I want to talk about how things can serve you for a season, and then it may be time to move on. We're talking about how she can adopt that in her life and how you can adopt it in yours. Now let's get to it with Miranda Anderson. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting again with Miranda Anderson. Hi, Miranda. Hello. So happy to be here again. I know. The last time we talked, I look on our Skype history because I'm old school and do Skype. November 17th, 2017, Miranda. When- wow. That's like a whole different <laughs> era universe. <laughs> we had no idea. Little Miranda, little Jessica had no idea what was on the horizon, did we? Oh, my goodness. It's wild. And also, I'm loving the name Miranda lately because I'm obsessed with this TikToker, Instagram dancer, Miranda Derrick. Are you familiar? Oh, I've never heard of her. I'm going to write that down. Look her up, Derrick. I with... thought you were going to say uh, Sex in the City. Well, I, I'm, less, I'm less excited because of that. But... I'm going to be a little surprised, actually. <laughs> like, you just channel that, that Sex in the City vibe, Miranda. <laughs> You know, the name has come up because I think there's like a, yes. I actually have never seen it and I yes. think there's some sort of a resurgence of it. Yes. So right. anyway, that's so funny. That um, is... Okay. Tell me the person's name again, Miranda okay. what? Miranda Derrick, D-E-R-R-I-C-K. And I think Ooh. her handle is It's Miranda Derrick. She yeah. just, the way she moves her body and the way she's able to wear these cute little crop tops and she has a blunt <laughs> little bob like you. Uh-huh. But it's fun dancing, not like va-va-voom dancing. I just, I just can't get enough of her. It's electric. So fun. Okay, I'm excited to go check her out. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, I'm just loving all the dancing on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, but I love um, Kelly Dactyl. She's super fun to watch. Kasha Campbell. And then this new one, this 
uh, Miranda is only in the last few weeks that I've been watching her. So super fun. And because you are so plugged in. I'm like, well, I know that there's dancing happening online and I don't really see almost any of it. I need to curate my feed to include more of that joyful movement in my scroll. Well, here's what's happening, Miranda. You'd click on one little video that you think, huh, I wonder what that's all about. And then suddenly you're just inundated. My husband yeah. does not have Instagram. And so he hops on my Instagram from time to time just to like see what's up or whatever. And he clicked on a lion video. Like a, a, a man. Like a roaring lion? No, it is a person who's a lion as a pet, Miranda. There is what? somebody in like Abu Dhabi. And there's like a bunch of people now that my feed is filled with these lion videos. That people that just like cohabitate with full grown lions. And I, I can send these to you. I can link these in the show notes. It is bizarre. The guy is just like sitting on a couch eating a smoothie. And there's a lion like lopped over onto his lap. <sighs> like roaring and, and braying. And I'm just like... Is this fake? I don't think it my is. My jaw is on my desk. Right? I cannot handle what you're telling me. Well, you're welcome. I know that this is what you need to do more of in your life because you have nothing else going on. So you need lion videos. But while I'm nursing, like, this is what I watch because I don't know if we talked about this in the past, but um, I've struggled with postpartum anxiety before. And now that I just had another baby... I've noticed that if I'm on Instagram while I am, or on social media in general, while I'm nursing, like my anxiety kind of spikes. And so like, surprise, surprise, right? Like all of us. Right. And so, but it's, but it's extra bad when, when I'm nursing because of just the letdown and the hormones and whatever. But if I'm watching these dance videos or things like that, if I'm not like watching people like promoting stuff then I'm like good and it's quite enjoyable. So it's like Gilmore it Girls. It's like entertainment and it yes. like adds some value yes. rather than being kind of an energy drain. Yes, exactly. So that's where I'm at in my life. But you just like buy houses and, you know, redecorate <laughs> and do new, like you, you do things like that. And I watch these line videos, Miranda. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I was not planning on buying a house when we did this last one, like two weeks ago. Yes. Um, it was not on my radar really, but here we are. That's how things happen sometimes. And I'm super excited uh, to start a new chapter. Yeah. And it's just kind of ironic that the person that didn't shop for a year and like has that avenue also just like buys a house on a whim as well. But it all makes sense. And I loved the episode you just shared on your podcast. Um, and it goes into detail about that. But I mean, how does it feel to like know that you're moving really soon? Like, how do you toe the line between we love the house we're in, we love the life we're living, and I'm ready to just kind of jump into this thing that feels right, but like, it doesn't make all the sense, but it makes enough sense to jump. Yeah, it's it's a really weird thing to have two very conflicting emotions at the same time. There's not very often in our lives where there's like such... Um, kind of bittersweetness. I think mm-hmm. that there's a few, there's a few kind of maybe standard circumstances that people would go through and feel this feeling. And one of them I think has to do with moving in a transition like this. And sometimes people feel all excitement about moving. Sometimes people feel all grief, especially if it's something that they didn't choose or they're kind of mourning things that they're losing. And we feel this weird mix of both. Like it's like a twist cone where one day I feel so excited about starting a new chapter, moving into a space that definitely feels uh, more suitable for the lifestyle that my family wants to have. And also we just spent three years renovating our house to fit 
the, you know, the lifestyle that we were living. So it's just an interesting situation. I think that for me, uh, allowing space for both the mourning and the grief of something that I really love, I've put blood, sweat, tears, resources, you know, so much creative energy into the renovation of this house that we're moving out of. Uh, so that, I mean, that's, it's sad to leave something so sweet and special behind. I imagine an artist who spends a long time working on a beautiful painting or beautiful work of art sort of just wants to keep them all, you know, Mm. like, but that's not really what would be the most beneficial. The most beneficial is to allow someone else to experience in love and, and use a space that you're no longer using and to move on and then do the same thing again. So we're not doing a full renovation on this new house, but um, it's a mix of excitement and, sort of morning. And I think that it, that's kind of been confusing for me because I feel like I should be only excited. Mm. It's really, we, we feel really grateful to be able to move by choice. We feel really grateful to be able to have a little bit more space by choice and to be able to afford it. And all of these other things that I, I know a lot of people, I mean, it would be a dream to be able to have one more bedroom, you know? And, um, so there's a lot of like privilege and, and gratitude wrapped up there. And also I have to allow myself to be human and, and say, it's really sad to leave a project that has been instrumental in my own personal development over the last several years as well as, you know, being a really fun, exciting thing to do. Yeah. But like you said, like it served its purpose. And in your podcast, you talked about, and it's time for another family to love it as much as we did, where it's a better fit for them, where it's no longer, oops, where it's no longer as good of a fit for your family. And I think that's really powerful. And going back to what you said about you chose this. And so you feel like you should be feeling all the gratitude, all the joy, and only like the positive emotions. I know there's people listening who are in a different circumstance. Maybe it's they just had a baby and it's like, I chose this and yet I just need a break and I need to be away. Or, you know, I, I chose to live in this place or I chose this job or I chose to leave my job, whatever it is. And it's like, you feel guilt when you don't feel only the positives, but I don't know, like it's a natural feeling in question to have in your mind. Like why, why am I so conflicted about this if I'm choosing this? But I don't know. How, how do you work to overcome that? Well, I think it's been helpful to acknowledge it. Um, I had a conversation with my husband last week where I, I heard myself say, I should just be grateful. And whenever I use the word should, that's a red flag for me that I need to do a little bit of like analysis and maybe a little self actualization because, um, I don't want to be should as an indicator for me of someone else's idea of correct, not my own. And so I had to back up and say, you know, why do I feel like I should only be grateful? Is that, you know, do I think that's a socially acceptable emotional response to the situation? Do I feel embarrassed by the way that I feel, you know, I had to explore it a little bit and have, have, just kind of recognize and name that it's okay to feel multiple different things. It's okay for something to not just be positive. It can be positive and be complicated and that's okay. That's human. That's very normal. And when we repress our grief, when we try to push it away or, or we feel bad for feeling bad, Hmm. we just multiply the, um, the negative emotion. And when we allow ourselves to experience it and we create, you know, we open up to it. And I just, I had a day last week where I said, I'm just going to be sad and I'm going to, 
I'm going to allow myself to be sad. I'm not going to feel bad about crying, about leaving my artificial turf that I installed eight months ago and I love. I'm not going to be, you know, feel bad about missing this giant front porch where I hang out all the time and our new house doesn't have a front porch. And and I'm going to allow myself to grieve those things. And then I'm going to feel better having gone through that grief. And it's after kind of that turn of the corner that you start to get some of that momentum and the ability to say, okay, well, what, what next? Like, I don't, I'm not just going to feel bad, just like I'm not just going to feel good. So I can find some balance in there. And I started to get, I mean, after I allowed myself to be sad and I'm still like a little bit sad, but I feel like I had to be really sad for a day. And now I feel mostly excited. Like Mm. I processed through some of that and you know, grief is different for a house than it would be for a relationship or for a, you know, a future or there's all sorts of different things. It's a, it's a, it's a, for me, it feels like a small grief versus like a big morning that yeah. will take a lot of processing and time, but for someone else, maybe it would, but I mean, and I'm still working through it. It's just, it was nice to allow space for the negative emotion, not even the negative emotion, the, the human wholeness of multiple emotions, not just what we perceive as positive, which is, you know, gratitude and excitement and what we perceive as negative as grief or mourning. There's something sweet yeah. in, in mourning. Um, there's something sweet in knowing that you loved something enough that it matters that you're leaving it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you made it so much more beautiful than when you started. And, and I believe, yeah, I believe that the, the memories that you had there will permeate the walls and, you know, spark joy in that next family. And that's really a cool cool thing. And I mean, it's just so interesting that we spoke four years ago and I mean, obviously so much has changed in the world, but I mean, just in our own little incubated family, like did Plum, is Plum eight now? Plum just turned eight. Yeah. So she was itty bitty last time we talked. Yeah. She was (laughs) tiny. Wow. That that was almost exactly the time that we moved from Texas to Richmond. Okay. So we moved in August of 2017. We were in the middle of our year of not shopping still. Wow. And we had just downsized from our home in Texas to a thousand square foot rental. We bought our blue house a couple months later in January, renovated, moved in, lived there for a couple months, had the catastrophic flood that led us to move out again for another six months (laughs) to redo the renovation and, and restore it after the flood. We moved back in settled in for a couple months and then COVID happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then we've lived, you know, we've kind of been nestled in for the last two years of COVID and, um, and then just on a whim saw a house that, uh, feels like it will be a little bit better fit for the long term, And now we're moving in. So that's, I, we've moved four times in the four years that I've wow since we talked. Yeah. Only to two different houses, but moving in and out because of Right. Some by choice, some, some not like the catastrophic flood you mentioned. And when we talked last time, I mean, your life revolves around the same kind of theme about like being present, adventuring and creating those really meaningful memories, whatever that looks like for your family and in the season that you're in. But no doubt when you are an adventuring family, you are on the go heck you like rent convertibles and go for drives for fun sometimes to see the fall leaves like you are you just you just reach out and grab life and I just love that so much and then something like the pandemic happens what does that do to an adventurous family where 
you have new limits and boundaries set on what that can actually look like. And yeah. like never before. Um, well, it makes you really sad for a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Real talk. It's like been very, very difficult to navigate all of these things that made me that have had brought me so much joy for my whole life of going out and experiencing new things, both locally and further away. I mean, we've always loved to travel, but we weren't exclusively traveling abroad. We also liked to go to museums in town and try new coffee shops and um, go to different, you know, parks and playgrounds. And there was a time in Richmond, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and there was a time for, you know, months in 2020 when our local playgrounds were sanctioned off with um, hazard tape because they were considered by the city unsafe for like multiple people to be touching the playground equipment. So even something like going to a park outside was not available as an option. Um, It was a really kind of a really interesting awakening to um, what do, what does one do when everything that you've ever done before is sort of all taken away at once. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people relate to that idea of like feeling a little bit lost there's a definitely a period of kind of floundering and then having to create some new coping skills to fulfill some of those desires for novelty for um excitement and enthusiasm um we kind of created a new system at home I ended up homeschooling my kids so we ended up spending you know, our mornings home doing writing and craft projects. And we did a lot of walking and hiking. We could still go on hiking trails. We didn't go to playgrounds, but we could go on hiking trails. We nestled into our neighborhood. Um, We invested in a hot tub so that we could spend time together outside warm during even the fall winter. Um, We kind of had to reshift and become comfortable with the idea that we're going to be creating our family culture experiences sort of from the ground up that things that had felt easily accessible were no longer available. So we were going to start from kind of scratch and, and maybe a walk around the block was going to be the new exciting adventure of the day. Hey everyone. I wanted to jump in real quick. I think a show sponsor and that is magic spoon. I don't know about you, but I'm not a hot breakfast mom, especially on weekdays. My kids are eating cereal. Growing up, cereal is one of the best parts of my childhood, but I don't love feeding them junk cereal. And of course, when I go to the store, they always want the sugary cereals, and I try and eliminate those from our pantry as much as possible. But Magic Spoon makes it so I can be the fun yes mom and give them the cereals they really love. So the cool thing about Magic Spoon is that all their cereals have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving with only 140 calories a serving. These cereals are keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb depending upon your dietary needs. And they have a variety pack so you can see your very favorite flavors. They have cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And if you want to know a secret trick, you can mix the cocoa and the peanut butter, and it's like having a delicious peanut butter cup cereal experience. You're going to love it. It's really, really amazing. 
So if you're a cereal mom like I am, go to magicspoon.com EMP to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code EMP at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by 100% happiness guarantee. So remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com EMP and use code EMP to save $5 off your order. Thanks Magic Spoon for sponsoring the show. Now go get yourself a bowl of delicious cereal. And so now that more of the world has opened up, I mean, right now is not the greatest time again, but in, in general, <laughs> yeah, it feels like a cycle, oh right? Oh my gosh, Miranda. Hello. We're going to break out of the cycle soon. I have, I have full trust that we are on the, that we're at the, we're at the 80% of this thing. Yes. Okay. Great. I agree. Yep. Let's go with that. And so now that more is opened and more is available and you're able to adventure, what has changed? Like, what have you taken since your family culture has been further, has further evolved? Does it look different now that even you can do some of those things you used to do? So I think that one of the real sticking something that has real staying sticking power from the last two years as far as our family culture is the way that we spend time outside. Mm. I, um, I have always been an outdoorsy girl. I grew up in Utah. I grew up camping and hiking and backpacking. I worked as a snowboard instructor and a river guide and a backpacking counselor throughout my teen years. So I am, I was really versed in kind of spending time outside very comfortably until I had kids. And and then as much as I tried to kind of maintain that, it's just so much, it feels so much easier to just go to a museum and just, you know, let right. them play or go to a, like a kid's play area. And when those things were taken away, we sort of rediscovered nature as a playground, hmm. both in spending time in our own backyard and in our own neighborhood and in discovering some of those like trails and, um, hiking areas and, uh, big wide open spaces and allowing my kids to just explore and to play with, play with nature, play in nature, um, run around with their friends, uh, with flashlights, go camping, do some of those outdoors things that were, that just felt a little bit less accessible before. Mm -hmm. But then when that's the only thing that's available, all of a sudden it's like seems a lot more desirable and interesting to put in the extra effort. And what's been so interesting is that the, the, all of the activation energy of needing to figure out the system of how to get your kids out on a hike is front loaded. So Mm. you figure out that system once or twice, like you, you know, you go on a hike and and everyone whines and everyone's thirsty. And then you realize like, okay, we need better shoes and we need uh, to make sure we pack water bottles and I'll stash my pockets with jelly beans. And that'll be a little bit, you know, you overcome some of those initial things and you get kind of a, you figure it out and then it's easier. And so over the last couple years, especially, I feel like, um, I always had this vision of having a really adventurous outdoor inspired family. And it's just been in the last couple of years, I think mostly by virtue of necessity that my kids are as comfortable in the outside going on a hike or, or going camping as I was when I was their age. And that it's a really foundational part of our family culture, which I think previous to COVID we had thought adventure in lots of different ways. And I still think of adventure as more of a mindset than of an activity. And I love that, um, the, by necessity, 
are, we've developed a, a foundational culture of outdoor activity that, um, has so many benefits. So, I mean, yeah. environmental connection and, um, connection to self and spirit, spiritual connection and the health benefits of being outside and immuno benefits of, um, you know, playing in the dirt. And there's just so many wonderful things that come from being comfortable outdoors, but it's not something that just happens. It's something that you kind of have to, um, decide on and consciously create this, this culture. Yeah. Well, and like you said, the mental health benefits of being outside and you could, you know, spend your time thinking about all the things and all the options that have been taken away from us and the things we can't do and the people we can't be with. Or we could say like, look at this expansive space, like do anything you want out there as our little family. And it really changes things and changes that. And I know, especially for older kids during the pandemic, when socially they were more cut off and, and they tend to, to crave that more in general and, and need that you had to do something to combat that and staying inside and just trying to do the things you used to do in a different way. Like it wasn't working for a lot of people and they felt really robbed. And I think it prolonged the grieving process. So finding an alternative that really opened them up and re-reminded them, wow, like what a world, what? And it's not like we can't do these other things. So we're doing this. It's like, this is what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so for your older kids, how did you help them to, to process the last few years? And, um, I have all boys, um, and my oldest, definitely he's in sixth grade was, was most impacted by, by this and, and his mental health and taking a toll in that way. How did you help support them in, in those changes and, in just, you know, really digging into your own family? So I think that one of the things that has been helpful generally in my parenting process, I mean, my oldest is almost 13 and my youngest is eight. So although I, you know, haven't been, I feel like I'm a, I'm a mid midway seasoned parent, right? Um, I feel like from the beginning, something that was helpful for me with my kids was to allow them to go through some of the same experiences that I was to, to, although I want to be a safe place as far as them believing that I have some of the answers, I've never wanted them to feel like I had all the answers and that they didn't have any or that they, Mm. that it wasn't normal to ask questions and to kind of wonder about things. I've always wanted to be a a human to my kids. Mm. And so I think being able to kind of talk about the struggles, um, the things that are difficult and also come up with solutions together, not just make kind of the parent decision and then kind of let them know what's happening, but invite some family discussion about what do we want to do here? What are our options? What's happening in the world right now? We're really open. We try to be really, we try to maintain conversations about even sometimes taboo and tough topics, just open those conversation lines so that our kids can ask questions all the time. And, um, and one of the, I think one of the most powerful things that I've been saying for my kids lately is I don't know exactly what's coming. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. We can make some guesses based on the information that we have, but I don't know. And that's okay. It's okay to not know what comes next. Um, we can be open and we can stay curious to what experiences are ahead of us and I think it builds confidence to know that it's okay that you don't know what's coming next, that we can recognize our tools, 
we can recognize the resources we have as a family that almost like no matter what happens, we're going to figure it out. We're going to be okay. And I don't have all the answers. Right. And how many times do we think the right parenting approach is to feel like the authority figure, right? That's kind of what all the parenting books teach. Like you're the authority, you know what's going on and that provides safety. But really, yeah, instilling that curiosity in them and realizing that mom and dad have just as much curiosity, but also a tool belt of skills and experience to navigate anything that comes our way. That is what true safety looks like. Yeah, I think that inviting our kids to grow up to be adults, like raising adults, not raising children who then, you know, turn 18 and it's like the light switches and they have to figure out everything out, you know, like raising Mm -hmm. them to be, to think like adults, of course, in developmentally appropriate ways, but that includes teaching problem solving, teaching, uh, teaching curiosity, teaching presence, like being able to try to, you know, some mindfulness. We definitely, uh, one thing that was really beneficial for my kids during our homeschooling was that I started our homeschooling with meditation and journaling. So every day I turned on the Headspace app. They have these great kids meditations and we do like a two minute meditation. And then we did what I called morning pages. I think that's, I think I borrowed that from um, the artist way, but I don't, I actually haven't done the artist way myself, but just free writing for, we would only do 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but starting the day with some mindfulness as a tool for anxiety, as a tool for not knowing the answers, as a tool for discovering what questions are inside you and how you're going to work through them. And these are things that they don't necessarily get in school, in the classroom, but things that as parents, we can teach them at home that there's so much research and evidence behind gratitude journaling behind journaling in general behind meditation and mindfulness for combating some of the negative effects of the mental health situation that everyone finds themselves in right now so I think thinking about not giving my kids the answers but giving them the tools to find the answers themselves Mm. is is kind of a shift in parenting yeah perspective yeah I think that's great to incorporate them in these self-care, self-awareness type practices, because I hear a lot about like we as adults should do those types of things, journaling, meditation, you know, on and on and on, fill in the blank for these, you know, self-care and fill your bucket type tactics. But it's like, what if you can bring your kids into that to tell them to also take care of themselves in these ways and they can figure out what truly works for them. Imagine if you were self-aware enough to know, like, this is what works for me when I'm feeling really sad. as as an eight-year-old you know like we don't they don't often know and we say when we ask our sad child you know what's wrong sometimes they don't even know what's wrong sometimes there's not an exact answer and so without the ability to articulate it they certainly don't know how to make themselves feel better or help themselves feel better right so what if they knew when I'm feeling sad you know going outside makes a big difference or when I'm really angry writing it writing about it helps me release that Gosh, mm-hmm. think about these adults they're going to yeah. become. How cool is that? Well, right. The, just the emotional. I think that we sometimes forget that the things that we're learning as adults, like emotional intelligence and uh, and mindfulness practices and even just basic kind of self-care of like getting enough sleep and drinking water and those types of things. If you're learning it as an adult, that means you didn't learn it as a child. But if you <laughs> want to learn it as an adult, that means it's probably something you could turn around and teach to your kids so that they have that a leg up so that they spend their teen years, you know, 
they're not saying that they're going to just get it. Cause even though my almost 13 year old, I mean, I encourage him to go to sleep and we talk about sleep and we have, um, you know, some nighttime routines that help to get ready for sleep and things like that. That doesn't mean he's just lays his head down on the pillow and goes to sleep or <laughs> that he believes that he should. Right. Right. But he definitely, um, understands more of the underneath, like not the, just the go to bed, but also some of the values and principles and benefits of why we might encourage that. Then if we just told him it's just bedtime, that's the answer, you know? So yes. I think, um, yeah, I think thinking about the things that are helping us manage the um, obstacles that we don't know, you know, that we don't know the, the answers those are in a lot of ways there there are things that we can start teaching to our kids and uh, and i think part of it is just creating a culture in our families that it's okay to work through problems it's okay to have problems to face obstacles um in some situations some scenarios some families some um, cultures and, and social groups, even just having problems feels shameful. It feels like something that you should hide. Um, struggling with mental health, struggling with financial problems, struggling with um, even like physical ailments can be something that if you don't have a culture of openness can feel really not only it's kind of like the same thing with the negative emotions. Not only do you have the obstacle itself, but then you add all of your judgment upon it and it becomes doubly tricky than if it's okay to have hard days and that that's something as a family that you recognize each other, each other's humanity, parents and kids, you're all open to the idea of learning and growing together, of being curious, of uh, using creativity and not thinking that you have to have it all right the first time or know all the answers right from the beginning. Yeah. Or even when you know what you think you, here we go again, should be doing, even just doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And you have a new podcast episode 152 from your live free creative podcast. And it was talking about swapping out like the words should and could. And mm -hmm. you posted this on your Instagram. So I'm going to read your little acronym, which is so good. So should your acronym stuff humans other than you like doing. <laughs> That is so good. That is so funny. And it's so true. And sometimes the shoulds, you know, do apply to us. And that's where the tricky part is, right? Like, yeah, I should, you know, go for a walk when I'm sad. Okay. But what if you even just swapped out the word, even though should does work in that situation, to could. Creative options you can look into and decide. So it goes back mm -hmm. to like your son and his sleep habits, right? Like you, you've given him the tools. He knows what feels good. He knows what you think he should do. Right. But right. what if you just, and I'm sure you do say, you know, you could put yourself, you know, put your phone in a different room. So it's not a temptation. You could read until you fall asleep. You could take a shower at night instead of in the morning. Cause you're running late, like fill in the blank providing those options and they can provide the options for themselves as well. It doesn't just need to be you, you're their cruise director, right? Right. But I love yeah, that. Absolutely. And I, I'm excited to dive into that podcast episode. Yeah. The, um, the should thing is so funny because so the way I would think about that is that if I'm, if I'm using the word should, I'm the reason like the, the why behind it is, the impetus is someone else. Like mm. it's, it's not me that's deciding it's someone else has decided 
that I should do this. Even if it's like a former self, like a, like a previous version of me believes that I should X, Y, Z. It's when I, so I think shoulds a lot of times we're not claiming them. Mm. We're doing it based on someone else's idea where when we simply switch it to could it's, it becomes a decision. And I think as soon as we have the, as soon as we make the decision, then it's no longer a should, then it's something we want to do. It's something that we're inspired to do. It's something that we have decided that is better than the other options at that moment. And we can, we can claim it. And I think something that is, I, I mean, just so powerful. One of my real beliefs is that we that everything is optional and that we all have the opportunity to create the life that we're leading, that there are no, there's not one right way to do things. There's not one solid pathway. The rules that we've been taught by society and culture and in some cases, religion and family and all of those groups outside of ourselves are not necessarily true or applicable across the board. And so it, when we put ourselves back in the driver's seat we get out of the should, we get into what do I want every, you know, all of these things are options. How do they align with what matters most to me? How do they align with my values? How do they align with my vision of what I would like my life to look and feel like? And that's so much more empowering than feeling like we're checking all of the boxes, but feeling empty at the end of the day, because the boxes weren't for us. Hmm. They were based on someone else's idea of success or value or, or responsibility or something else. The boxes weren't actually for us, Miranda. That's so good. That's so good, Miranda. That's right. Like who's writing these boxes? Who's creating these options? And so many times we're on busy, busy, busy mode, move, move, go, 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 decide, decide, decide. And so the option that's right in front of us or that seems most common or most appropriate or most commonly accepted like that feels like the only option but that's almost never ever true is it I mean I I think you would be hard-pressed to find a circumstance in which there is one right option right for everyone yeah I can think of some I took an honors philosophy course at um in college and and we were given some hard ethical questions there was always another side though. There was always the perspective where you could say, well, this is obviously the right answer. And someone else would say, and if you acknowledge this part of the circumstance, then for someone that might not be the right answer. And it's, it's so interesting because we are very conditioned depending on how you grew up. Most of us are very conditioned with a solid set of moral guidelines that would say yes or no black or white in almost any circumstance. Mm -hmm. And the adult brain is able to see the gray is able to recognize there's some nuance in most situations and there's not always just one right way. Even if there's one right way for you, like you feel really embedded and really excited and really um, entrenched in in one decision, that doesn't mean that that decision is going to be right for someone else Mm. because our circumstances and our lives and our values and our desires are so different. I had a really interesting uh, short conversation. I run a, a, a accountability decluttering sort of intentional living masterclass every year. And so I'm right in the middle of it. And there's a group, a Slack community where people can join and ask questions. And one of the questions I got this last week was from someone who said, I'm having a hard time 
getting to the things that matter the most to me because I feel like I need to complete my to-do list before I use my free time Hmm. to do things like read to my kids or, you know, exercise or do these other things that are, that I know are uh, are more important, but somehow they always end up, you know, not happening. And I, I responded that I think that something's fundamentally wrong with the way she's thinking about a to-do list, because if you're doing things on your to-do, like what, what is on the to-do list? If it's not the most important things, Mm. like that's not how I see a to-do list as being where you keep yourself accountable to doing the things that align with your highest priorities, put play with the kids on the top of your to-do list, put, you know, exercise 20 minutes at the very top of your to-do list. If you're going in order, like from the top of the list down, you better make sure that your highest priority is the highest thing on the list. Otherwise, you get to the bottom without any resources left and you live your whole life not doing the things that matter, not aligning your actions with your values. And we really don't feel our best when we're living in a space where our actions are misaligned from our values. Mm. It creates a lot of confusion, a lot of cognitive dissonance, and we don't feel fulfilled. So I said, I think, I think the way we're thinking about to-do lists are very different. So let's kind of, let's look at this, you know, from a different perspective and see if we can't adjust your to-do list to be a container for the things that matter to you. Right. And you might actually be surprised to, instead of making sure that the laundry is done and folded and put away, you know, on your timetable, that swapping that out for, yeah, being able to just go to the park and play with the kids or having a more leisurely morning or whatever it is, the feeling that comes from prioritizing what you truly value is way worth being like, oh, yep, nope, laundry didn't get done, but that's okay because it will still be there tomorrow and you can you can do it and it will get done. But the things that you really prioritize that snowballs way faster when you're missing those things than the mundane to-dos that it's like, yeah, does isn't life-giving. Right. You don't look back, you know, after five years and think, oh, man, my laundry or, you know, my dishes were piled in the sink like so many nights over yeah. the last five years. But you would look back and think, I don't know if I read aloud to my kids at all over yeah. the last five years or I kept thinking I was going to go play catch with my son or I was going to go teach my daughter to ride her bike or to roller skate. And because of other insignificant barriers, I didn't do the most significant thing. That's what intentional living feels like to me. My, the, you know, the last, the last time we talked, our family was kind of undergoing this intentional living experiment of not shopping for the year. And that was a very physical challenge that had so much to do with belongings and with, um, you know, consumerism. And that was really impactful. And what's happened is that I've been able to apply this physical sense of does, do I want that physical thing in my life, in my home? I've expanded that onto now how I spend my time, even the beliefs and thoughts that I allow to reside in my head. So the decluttering my physical life snowballed into decluttering the way I spend my time and energy and and really trying to focus on having the having my highest and best quality hours of the day be spent on the highest and most important activities that I can and the relationships and connections that I have and and I've I mean there's total there's things that I just don't even do at all anymore that like what ha- it, like that what? I don't miss yeah well 
So I, we've kind of reallocated some of our, uh, some of our resources. So I, I, I don't clean my floors at all anymore because we hired a cleaning company that comes twice a month. And so all of like the heavy cleaning, the floors, doing the bathroom tile, all that kind of like we pick up, but I thought it was felt like it was more important, a more important use of our resources to have that taken care of. So we weren't always feeling the weight of the kind of fundamental household cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I passed off laundry and dishes entirely to my husband. He doesn't do it all himself, but he manages it. So my my three kids are all old enough to participate in dishes. So, but I don't manage it anymore. Dave manages the schedule for the dishes. He's the one who asks the kids and reminds them and helps them if they need help. And so, um, and same thing with laundry. Laundry I stopped doing um, when my daughter, my youngest, was about eight months old. I emotionally couldn't do it. I I felt like my life was a circus. This was about the same time that. Um, I was having all of these other realizations and, and it was around the same time that we decided it was just a couple years later, kind of starting off this journey of like, I've got to cut the extra because I have too much happening. Mm -hmm. And I just one day told my husband, I am sorry. Um, but I, I can't do laundry anymore. I won't be doing it anymore. And I'm, I'm happy with whatever solution you come up with, but that's not something I can do. I like love I was spit up running down my shirt and I had a four year old and a two year old at the time and I was trying to just manage all of these different areas of my life and it felt like too much and I just said I just am not. I don't care if we have to spend money to like have a laundry service do it. I don't know if you want to do it. I like if we need to like wear just wear robes around like I'm not going anywhere anyway with this newborn. So like we can wear robes around the house and just not wear clothes for a while. I honestly don't care but I can't do it anymore. Uh-huh. And, um, and it was a good example of this idea that I talk about sometimes that everything is optional. We, I think, especially as women, as moms, we carry the burden of household maintenance that we're not the only, I wasn't just doing my laundry. I had been doing everyone's laundry. Right. And, um, and I was not even changing my clothes. I mean, I had a baby, so I, you know, you're familiar with this. I, I wore the same outfit you know, for three days in a row, sometimes not getting a shower in there. And so it wasn't even my laundry that was happening. And I think being able to see outside of the, um, I mean, in that moment, I wasn't like being super creative. I was really just hitting the end of my rope, but in the years since being able to say, that's something I gave away years ago and I haven't ever looked back. And it didn't like, it didn't like break down the whole system. My marriage is wonderful. My husband is great at doing it and managing it and figuring it out. And I just gave it away. And I didn't, I didn't claim, I didn't retain the weight of the, um, the responsibility, even though I wasn't doing the task. I think sometimes we do that. We'll like say you take care of it, but then we actually still worry about it. I really did give it all away. And so I don't think about it at all anymore. And that, has freed up a lot of mental space and time to, you know, serve my family in other ways and take care of myself in other ways and find a little bit more, um, more ease in the juggle. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. And I think that part two, like you said, of releasing the mental, either watching the person to complete it or when are they going to do it or still stressing about it it. or, okay, fine, I'll just do it. There's a pile of laundry out here, hon. Are you going to get to that? Right. Like, no. Nope. You just just, don't even see it. there's a basket of laundry, great. I don't have to think about it. I step over it. That's not not mine. basket of laundry. Love that. Miranda, 
there's just, it just goes to show that because of different people's life experiences and age of kids and how they were raised and their marriage dynamic, there's just so much we can learn from one another. And I love how you frame your thinking around these things. And it just gives me so much to think about. And so many of these things we like 100% align on and other things I'm like, huh, I haven't thought of that. Let me think, I'm going to think more on that and see how I can apply it to my life or, oh, that doesn't work for me. And that is the beauty of life and of creating our families. Like we get to do that. We have options and Mm -hmm. that is so fantastic. And I'm just so grateful that we got to chat this morning. I know if people don't already follow you, they might want to look up your book more than enough. That'll be linked at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. But where else can they find you or, and follow along officially through your house? So I, um, I have my weekly podcast where I discuss all sorts of topics for intentional living, living a more creative life, uh, living life as a mom, exploring different options. Uh, It has a real focus on kind of wellness and mental health lately too, because that's something that I've been working on. And so that's called Live Free Creative. It comes out every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern. And it's a really fun place to kind of deep dive into some of these topics. And I try to make sure there's an applicable piece to each each show. There's something that you can try. There's something to think about. Mm to take home. Um, I'm on Instagram at live free Miranda. That's where I'll be sharing updates about our home process and, um, on my blog at livefreecreative.co. Uh, those are kind of the main things happening. And I, yeah, I, it's so fun to chat and just be able to, uh, to talk through some of these ideas about how we can reclaim some of our autonomy over the life that we lead and how there are so many options and so many different right ways Mm -hmm. of of living. I love that. Well, I asked you this question four years ago, Miranda, but we're all in different places four years later. And so I'm going to ask you it again. And it is, what would you tell your pre motherhood self? Oh, I wonder what I answered last time. I know I'll I'll put a sound clip in and uh, we'll, we'll revisit that. That'll be fun. (laughs) My pre motherhood self. Um, I would tell her, I would tell her to get a lot of sleep Mm -hmm. and, uh, to, I think I would just tell her to continue to enjoy being herself, her whole self to explore things that feel interesting and to be curious and to remain open and to retain that because you don't have to lose any of it by becoming a mom. You can just add to it. Oh, that's so good. Love that. Thanks, Miranda. Good luck with your move. Thanks for squeezing in the interview. And I just, this is going to be a great year for everybody. I know. So exciting. How great is Miranda? I'm so grateful to her for coming back on the show. If you want to hear her first episode, it was episode 194. And I did look up what she told her pre-motherhood self before. And she talked about how everything that goes into motherhood is worth it. And she talked about also how every lesson she had learned and life experiences and all that experience that she would then be able to share with her kids would be to their benefit. And so... I just love that. She's always had this attitude of embracing life to the fullest and then utilizing those experiences experiences and lessons for good. 
And that's all that we can ever hope for. So thanks, Miranda, for coming on the show. I'll link everything at ExtraordinaryMomasPodcast.com, including her first episode. Give Miranda a shout out and let her know how much you enjoyed hearing her on today's podcast. I'll link her book as well. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. And we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.